welcome again to the YOY podcast, still with your hosts, Tyler and Tyler. We're still Figure here. Figure out which one of us that is. Good luck. And we don't care. We don't. Still don't. We have a lot to work on uh, in this podcast. Uh, caring is far down on the list. <laughs> we can't be bothered to do, our, uh, to do our research or to care about whether or not you know who's, who's talking. And that, we can promise you, will continue episode uh, through episode. It's going to be great. Absolutely. That, basically, the, our effort extends to hitting that record button because mm-hmm. it gets stuck sometimes. So you really got to... <laughs> Really got to lean into it. So that's about as far as we go. It can take a lot out of you. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. We have to talk about uh, a, a catcher tonight for the Mariners. Yeah, kind of opening up Pandora's box. Oh, man. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was, it was going to come to catchers at some point because um, there are just so many bad ones. It's just, it, it just, it's like... Um, I'm trying to think of... Uh, it's like a smorgasbord. It's like going to Granny's Buffet and, and finding out that it's all lukewarm seafood. Um, so just going Mariners to Granny's catchers. Buffet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tyler, I did some research, uh, as I am wont to do, and I took a look at every season played by a Mariners catcher, and I found the person who had the statistically... Uh, the single worst season by a Mariners catcher in their history. And that's the person we're going to talk about tonight, and that is uh, a young uh, Mr. Miguel Olivo. Yeah, young, but with the hairline of a a (laughs) 40-year-old. And the knees of an (laughs) 80-year-old. The death perception of someone who's been dead for four years. (laughs) He was really uh, just hitting all of those age ranges... Uh, yeah. At different times, he was he was all over the place, <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, so so that's going to be our uh, that's our subject tonight. So buckle up, folks. Um, it's going to be a, a really frustrating ride. Uh, I hope you're prepared because we certainly are not. Well, where else to start off within uh, with our stat of the podcast, and it's a doozy for Miguel Olivo. The stat of tonight's of today's podcast is 100. Mm-hmm. 100 being the number of passed balls that Miguel Olivo allowed in his career, which is still the all-time leader in the category. The all-time leader for active players, we should say. Yeah. Um, no one, which... no one currently playing is coming close to Miguel Olivo and being bad at your job of stopping <laughs> baseballs. It's it's weird. After we go through this, the 100 pass balls is a crazy stat. To me, another one of those crazy stats is the fact that he is still on a roster of any kind. Um, In 2016, he actually signed as a free agent uh, minor league contract with San Francisco. So technically speaking, Miguel Olivo is still a baseball player. Technically. Well, yeah, technically, but... Actually, was he ever a baseball player? <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's the metaphysical question that we're going to really break down today. So, I think it's only fair to start from the beginning. Um, it's a very good place to start, as I've heard before. Miguel Olivo comes into the Mariners' lives 
after the 2003 season. The 2003 Seattle Mariners uh, actually did pretty well. Um, they went 93 and 69. It was the last last time they they finished with at least 90 wins. Yeah, they didn't they didn't see that that ride coming. <laughs> no, they didn't because um, they actually had a, a really really good run in in 2001. Uh, they had that uh, the the record uh, wins 116 wins, and then in 2002 and 2003 back to back years with 93 wins, 69 losses, um, and boy did that change quickly. What's going on behind the scenes is that this is this is really kind of the twilight of Dan Wilson's career, Dan the Man Wilson. As long as we're mm-hmm. talking about catchers, it, of course. One of the worst catchers is going to come right on the heels of one of the best catchers in baseball history, certainly the best in Mariners. Yeah, Dan Wilson might be the only good catcher we talk about today. That is going to be demonstrably true. Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of catchers. There's going to be a lot of names thrown around. Dan Wilson is going to be the cream of the crop by a long shot. The problem being is that since this is the back end of Dan Wilson's career, and and kind of, you know, everyone kind of knows it at this point, so Dan Wilson has um, at least the third worst season, um, or even worse than that, in the categories of hits, home runs, batting average, on-base percentage, on-base plus slugging, and sacrifices. So he is he's definitely winding down. Um, and wisely so, the Mariners' front office decides, hey, we need to find the catcher of the future. Um, because right now we have <laughs> a platoon of backups, and this is, this is going to start another trend that we'll, we'll find continues for quite a while, of having one kind of okay catcher and then like three terrible catchers who also get playing time. So the Mariners had Ben Davis and Ryan Christensen to back him up. Yeah, starting off the list of bad catchers <laughs> with a couple of doozies. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, they're, they're looking at essentially a situation in which um, they know that they're really not going to be able to afford their, at the time, their main stud pitcher in Freddy Garcia, who was coming off a really, really good year. Yeah, so that kind of makes, it kind of sets up them in the, in the trade market. Where they're, so they're looking for the catcher of the future. They have this trade piece in Freddie Garcia that they feel like they can get somebody good back for them. Uh-huh. Uh, so on June 27th of that year, they trade Freddie Garcia and Ben Davis to Chicago for Miguel Olivo, Jeremy Reed, and Mike Morse. So that's a pretty good haul. Yeah. Uh, it gets them a position of need in Miguel Olivo. Uh, gets them a couple of other players. And... At the time, it's considered one of the better trades in the recent Mariners history, which is not an illustrious trade history. <laughs> it's, it's not, but at least this trade for Miguel Olivo makes sense. Yeah, this is one of the ones that on paper you're like, hey, good job, everybody involved. Yeah. By that time, on June 27th, Olivo has played in 46 games up to that point and has 26 RBI. So to contrast that with what the Mariners had on the roster at the time, the best Mariner that 
they had that season was Dan Wilson with 24 RBI in 58 games. So Olivo presented an immediate upgrade, and he presented one at a position of need where he could kind of take over from Dan Wilson. At 25 years old, he's the long-term replacement for an aging Dan Wilson. Yeah, you're thinking he might actually be able to stick around for a while. Um, <laughs> little did we know. Um, yeah, it, it's this is this is definitely a departure from uh, Carlos the Silva Silva that we discussed last week, where at the time everyone who's who's not Bill Bavesi is going, "What the hell are you thinking?" This mm-hmm. is one of those moves that everyone kind of looks at and goes, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You, you traded a good person and you got a couple good people in return. Um, you're addressing a need. He's going to maybe be able to spend a year um, backing up Dan Wilson, who's going to be able to teach him a thing or two. Um, he already looks like he can hit. We just need to make sure he can, he can do the, the fielding part. So... I mean, it all it all makes sense, and Olivo certainly thought <laughs> that it made sense. When talking about the trade, he uh, actually mentioned Freddie Garcia. He said, um, "Freddie's a good pitcher, and when you want to get something good, you have to trade something good." So, at, at least he was confident. I guess you could say. Well, yeah, there he was never short on confidence. <laughs> he was short on a lot of other traits that Seattle would have liked him to have. Uh, confidence, not one of them. The way I see this, and as we kind of continue down Olivo's path, it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that um, Olivo's timeline is going to mirror, in a lot of ways, that timeline of Harvey Dent, uh, where he starts out as this kind of wide-eyed and kind of naive person just trying to make a difference, and very slowly... Uh, is broken down and at the very end of his career becomes the the very clear villain of his own tale. And I think the thing that breaks him down, in this case, his Joker, I, I think, is the Seattle Mariners. It seems like it. It seems like that's his bugaboo. <laughs> Where every time they're in the same room, bad things happen. Uh, so... In, in, that, in that same article from the Seattle Times, again, everyone being optimistic, everyone thinking this is a good deal, um, and we'll talk about why that is in a little bit, uh, but Blaine uh, Noonan says, what the Mariners do know is they got a good return for Garcia. This could be one of the better trades in club history. And just keep that in mind, dear listeners, as we continue through. Hopefully he did not get that tattooed on him. (laughs) So, yeah, at the time, Seattle thought they were getting a young catching prospect who could hit, who was maybe kind of a project behind the plate, but, you know, they had Dan Wilson that he could learn from. You could platoon them, save Wilson, maybe extend his career, maybe another season for so he could be your defensive catcher. But with the White Sox, Olivo was hitting really well, like really well. Course of three years, he had a batting average of 245, an on-base percentage of 295, slugging of 403. He brings better runs, he brings better hits, doubles, home runs, RBI, walks, total bases, war, far better than what Dan Wilson's bringing in any season since 1997. 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a big deal right there. Uh, because when you think of Dan Wilson, you're you're thinking of uh, consistency. And you know, granted, over the course of three years, Olivo has only played in the 166 games, but that's enough to uh, you know that is going to equal about to a season's worth um, uh, in, in terms of at bats. And with those stats combined, I mean, it's you have to feel like you're getting someone who is going to continue on that path of of improving um, and it being at least somewhat consistent. Yeah, at 25 years old, you're expecting him to continue to trend upwards. Yeah, yeah. What foolish thoughts we had. <laughs> we, we, too, were naive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Mariners pull the trigger, and they make the trade, and um, he winds up playing in 50 games to end the 2004 season. Um, because they're they're getting him uh, about halfway through uh, 2004. Bariners not off to a great start in 2004. Um, they actually uh, would end, I believe, I think only with 67 wins. If that's I think that's correct, 63 or 67 wins. So really, really not a good season. They wanted to make a clear distinction between the early 2000s teams. <laughs> who were in the running for the AL West and the post-early 2000 teams. Yes. Which have not. Yes, exactly. They didn't want any confusion. <laughs> so in, uh, just to compare what happens, because what happens is really startling. To start the 2004 season, Olivo has um, 38 hits, uh, 26 RBI. Um, he has five stolen bases, 29 strikeouts, and 70 total bases. So that's in 141 at bats with Chicago. So and and he's and he's hitting 270, which is fantastic. He gets to the Mariners uh, in uh, July, and immediately drops off a cliff in 160 at bats. So he's, he has more at bats with the Mariners than he did with Chicago. He still manages six fewer hits, 12 fewer RBI, three fewer stolen bases while still getting 21 more strikeouts and eight fewer total bases. His average goes from 270 to 200 with the Mariners. His on base percentage Drops from 316 with Chicago to 260 with the Mariners. Slugging drops from 496 to 388. And his war from 1.4 goes down to zero. Yeah, it was a precipitous fall. I, 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 like, just uh, um, night and day, really, really striking how poor he started performing. Um, on the bright side, he did make his mark on the Mariners' record books in 2004 by setting a single-game record uh, by striking out five times. Oh. So. I was kind of hoping it would be a good record. You'd think so. I, I don't, I don't then know he why. Probably wouldn't, he probably wouldn't be a, uh, our topic tonight if it had been a good record. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was just a, just a kind of a dismal end 
to uh, to the 2004 season. Um, not to worry, though, 2005 was worse. <laughs> it can always get worse. Yeah, Dan, Dan Wilson wound up undergoing knee surgery in May and going out for the season. Um, so they're kind of using a combination of Miguel Olivo and Wiki Gonzalez. Um, continuing yeah, the again. The dynamic that, duo. <laughs> that, that, that platoon of crap mm-hmm. of Miguel Olivo and Wiki Gonzalez. I mean, you have to assume that they're hoping Olivo is going to return to some of his Chicago White Sox magic, um, and he just so clearly did not. Um, the Mariners did wind up drafting Jeff Clement, uh, a catcher in the first round, um, again thinking that they've possibly found their catcher of the future. Um, did that work out? Spoilers, no. Ugh. No, 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 no. <sighs> So close. Yeah, that winds up being one of the worst draft picks (laughs) in Mariners history. Um, Man, the mid-2000s were rough, man. Yeah, like I said, there's going to be a lot of catchers named in this, and none of them are going to be very... None of them are going to evoke positive feelings. The, you know, the the kind of mid-2000s... especially like 2003 and 2004. Uh, Tyler, you and I went to high school together. Mm-hmm. We were juniors and seniors that year. Um, I know I was having a little bit of a kind of a, a quarter-life crisis, if you will. Wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to be. Wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. Um, it was a very stressful time for me, and the Mariners made it worse. They did not help an awkward transitionary period for us, <laughs> which was high school. I don't, I don't remember you having a particularly awkward transition. Uh, you must not remember my haircut or lack of a haircut. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you recall my, my fashion sense being mostly um, Charlie Sheen uh, two-and-a-half-men bowling shirts. When I was 17 and weighed 150 pounds, it was uh, that was not a good look for me either. As long as it's comfortable, <laughs> it was probably better than my fashion sense, which was uh, always white shirts, usually ones I got for free. <laughs> the best shirts are free not, shirts, man. Not always my size. Beggars can't be choosers. If you're going to get no, a shirt for free, free, you have to be happy with the size. <laughs> yeah. I was usually happy with it. People that needed to stand near me or around me, often less so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've moved on and that we are now um, incredibly well-dressed. Um, we're both wearing suits right now, which is really, really impressive. Top hats and monocles. Yeah. Every it, day. It looks All good. All day. <laughs> uh, I don't even know I don't, I don't know how to transition back to Olivo because I, I, I could talk about our awkward teenage years for like that could be its whole other podcast it could be and, and that could also be titled YOY <laughs> um, let's let speaking of awkward transitions let's awkwardly transition back to uh, Miguel Olivo yeah the awkward transition of the Seattle backstops 
so 2005 does not start out well. Um, again, Wilson going down with a, uh, with a knee surgery. Um, and Olivo just continues to do incredibly poorly through 152 at-bats um, with the Mariners in 2005. He has a 151 batting average, a 172 on-base percentage, a 276 slugging percentage, and a negative one war. Yeah, they probably would have been better served putting Dan Wilson out there on one leg. <laughs> They probably would have been better served putting up like a cardboard cutout of Dan Wilson there. Well, because, without a doubt, yeah. You know, at least a cardboard cutout could stop a ball. Yeah, you, in theory, you'd think it would be able to. Of course, in theory, you would think that a human being with volume and mass wearing <laughs> protective gear and with years and years of training would also be able to stop a ball. But Miguel Olivo is here to prove us all wrong. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that you and I are, we're not the experts, Tyler. We can't predict these things. So the, the Mariners go into um, what I think we should affectionately call mid-season panic mode because this is like a recurring trend with them. Yeah, tradition since 2005. <laughs> we could make t-shirt, yeah. uh, t-shirts, established 2005. Um, they trade Bet- Brett Boone to the Minnesota Twins for cash. Brett Boone, um, I don't know if you'll remember correctly, uh, a great second baseman for them in 2001, an okay second base baseman for them in 2002, a mediocre second baseman in 2003, uh, and kind of continues on for there. And it's crazy to think that in 2005, all you're going to get for him is cash. And that was probably a good deal for them. That's probably yes. more than they probably deserved for uh, 2005 Brett Boone. Yeah. So then they make a couple of um, attempts to trade Jamie Moyer, uh, but he blocks it. So they don't get anybody for him. They attempt to trade him to Houston, which is weird to think about. Uh, they attempt to trade Eddie Guardado, uh, but those deals fall through. Um, and then in a, this bizarre, uh, just these strange decisions that, uh, again, lead me to believe that we have to dedicate a whole series of episodes just to Bill Bavese decision-making. Um, they trade Randy Wynn for a catcher, Yorvit Torrealba. Mm-hmm. So now they have a catcher. They also have a number one draft pick catcher at this time. But then they trade Miguel Olivo for Miguel Ojeda, who is also a catcher. So you're making two trades for two catchers, plus your number one draft pick being a catcher, plus your two backup catchers that you already have. I think they figured at this point that... No one catcher was getting it done. Let's get, like, five catchers and then Voltron them together. <laughs> and we'll see what that can do. That's a, that's a great idea. Kind of, kind of a, like a mecha catcher. The players' union stepped in and said, you can't experiment on humans. <laughs> 
knowing the Seattle Mariners, it would have turned out less like a Voltron situation and more like a like a really strange human centipede type situation. Oh yeah. Um, and it just like this horrible shit show of. Uh, like limbs attached in weird places, um, really, you know, horrific stuff. Yeah, it would have been the stuff of nightmares, much like watching Miguel Olivo catch. <laughs> well done. So it feels like at this point, Bavesi is just making moves to make moves. Yeah. Like, this felt to me like uh, when I was in college, I played like a lot of uh, MLB 2005. Classic. Yeah. Who was on the cover of MLB 2005? That would be uh, Manny Ramirez. Oh. Manny being Manny. Ah, that's great. He, so at some point during a a term, I would get bored and I would just try and trade every player on my team. (laughs) Even if, like, I liked the player, even if, like, it made no sense to trade this player for what I was receiving back, I was like, "Ah, I need to mix it up. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where Bill Bavesi was in 2005. <laughs> because so Bavesi talks himself into this deal, saying, quote, we felt it was in everyone's best interests to give him, Miguel Olivo, a new lease on life. It's real tough to move guys you had high hopes for, and especially tough because Miguel's such a nice guy, which we'll find out later, not that true. <laughs> uh, a lot of us had gotten to like him quite a bit and wanted it to work for him here. I don't know who these people were who liked him, but they could have probably gone with him to San Diego. I was, I was yeah, I can't imagine exactly who, uh, who was really missing the Olivo presence in the clubhouse at that time. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why he got Miguel Ojeda, because he was like, Guys, I know you're going to miss Miguel Olivo, but I got you another Miguel O. So it's, it's basically all like he's about still here. Name recognition. Yeah, that's what it is. You guys are comfortable with the Miguel O. Mm-hmm. Here you go. We're going to keep it. It's a seamless transition. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, but I think that other people besides Bill Bavesi didn't understand this deal. Not even like the Padres didn't understand this deal. Because <laughs> you have a quote from a Tom Krasovic from the San Diego Times who says, quote, the Mariners again proved a handy trade partner for the Padres. In Yikes. return for Olivo, Seattle accepted 30-year-old Miguel Ojeda, a shaky defender who was no longer in San Diego's plans, and Nathaniel Mateo, a fringe pitching prospect who was bypassed by 29 clubs in last year's Rule 5 draft. The deal also was surprising in that Ojeda is guaranteed $375,000 next season, while Olivo, 27, has no guaranteed money past this season. So he traded for a guy who's three years older, just as bad defensively, not as good offensively. Of course, at this point, Olivo is... Not good offensively. Yeah. You basically took San Diego's trash out for them <laughs> and sent them Miguel Olivo. I, you know, th- this, this trade um, is kind of the opposite of 
the 2004 trade, which feels like it was kind of a well-thought-out plan for um, the future of a couple different people in the club. The 2005 trade feels like a like knee-jerk reaction of a team that is uh, flailing when everyone thought it would be doing well. Um, and And the GM feels like they have to make moves maybe just to make moves to try and shake things up because your your job is going to be on the line if you've been winning 90 games a season and, and all of a sudden you know come July you're already you know double digit games back under under 500 it's it just it feels like the move of someone who's like panicking and and just like frantically hitting the cancel button yeah, this was a this was a trades for trade's sake mm-hmm. situation. If I think I've ever if I've ever seen one, and it just felt like he was trying to sh- look like he was doing something to try mm-hmm. and fix what was happening with this team, um, but without any of like the thought or logic behind any of these moves, he just wanted to make moves to say, "Hey, look, I made a move. Please don't yeah. fire me." I'm very comfortable in my office. And the worst part about this is that what it winds up doing is getting rid of Miguel Olivo in what turns out to be the prime of his career. Because you you have a kid before, he's he's 25, he doesn't have a ton of experience. So yeah, you know, honestly, he he might be inconsistent for a little while. But they trade him <laughs> They trade him to San Diego, and in 115 at-bats, so again, he had 160 at-bats with the Mariners um, in 2005 so far. In in 115 at-bats, he has 35 hits, which is three more than he had in 160 so far that year. Um, He had the second fewest strikeouts of his career with at least 100 at-bats. He also posts a career-high... 304 batting average, 314 on base percentage, and a 828 on base plus slugging with with San Diego in half a season. All he needed was that spark of getting the fuck away from Seattle. <laughs> just just like such a a great middle finger as he's as he's going away. Um it, it it just it's so painful, and then yeah. it continues on from there. Yeah, and the the weird thing about the San Diego one too is be, is that like in Seattle you could think well maybe he didn't have like protection in the lineup, maybe he like wasn't surrounded by good good hitters, which he he wasn't, uh, and he's hitting in a in a you know a pitcher's ballpark. Uh, Petco is more of a pitcher's park than Safeco. And oh San far. Diego has never had a, had a lineup that could protect anybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it, unless they've figured out a way by now to clone Adrian Gonzalez, there's, you know, there's just no way to do it. It's just mind-boggling. Because he basically went into the same situation in the National League and, is, and just hits his, hits his brains out. Yeah, and... and continue to hit his brains out. I, I, I think that's the thing that's, that's so infuriating is that he, he did really well with Chicago, so one team, 
terrible with the Mariners, then does really well with San Diego, uh, becomes a free agent uh, at the end of 2005, spends 2006 and 2007 with the Florida Marlins, uh, and in two seasons... In two seasons with the Florida Marlins, he averages uh, 110 hits, 16 home runs, 60 RBIs, a 250 batting average, 275 on base percentage, 697 on base plus slugging, and a .4 WAR. So a, a, a better-than-average Seattle Mariners player and an astounding Seattle Mariners catcher uh, in, in terms yeah, of those had- stats. If he had put those types of numbers up while he was in Seattle, he would, they would have retired his number by, <laughs> by this, at this point. But that's, that's not all. He then goes to Kansas City. Uh, so he becomes a free agent at the end of 2007. Becomes, uh, becomes a free agent at the end of 2007 and signs with Kansas City. In two seasons there, averages 87 hits, so a little fewer, but 17 home runs, 53 RBI, and then increases his batting average to 252, on-base percentage to 285, and his on-base plus slugging to 752 with a 1.1 WAR. Another great season, and he's trending yeah. up now. Yeah, and now you can't, you can't say, well, it's because he went to the National League because now he's back in the American League. And he's doing better. He's back in the American League. He's doing better. And he's been improving for four straight years. That's, yeah. that's the other thing that you're looking at. He then goes to Colorado in 2010, has 106 hits in one season with Colorado, 14 home runs, 58 RBIs, posts a 269 batting average, so a career high, 315 on base percentage, another career high, a 756 on base plus slugging, a career high, and a 2.5 WAR, which is a career high. Um, so, and, and these these so he had a little bit better batting average on base percentage, and then on base plus slugging with uh, San Diego, but that was only in 37 games. He's playing full seasons now. Played f- two full seasons with Florida, two full seasons with Kansas City and a full season with Colorado, and he's still trending up. Yeah, so at this point, Seattle's like, okay, he's worked out the kinks. <laughs> Let's bring him back. It's been five years. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? We well, couldn't have missed his prime. There's just no way. There's no way that in those five years he's gotten all of his production out of his system. Let's bring him <laughs> back to the one place where he could not find success. <laughs> in defense of the Mariners' decision, it's not like they could have gotten much worse. Oh, no, for sure. 2010 was a disaster. They lost more than 100 games, and their catching duties were split between Adam Moore, Rob Johnson, and Josh Bard. Uh, honestly, I, I would have no idea who they were. Um, well, I, there's I a reason be able for to that. Pick them out of a lineup. There's a reason for that because <laughs> all three of them combined had 98 hits, nine home runs, combined to hit for a 200 average, 266 on base percentage, a 573 on base plus slugging, 
and combined for a negative 0.7 bore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's that human centipede that we talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's them. The human centipede that they tried to, con- tried to create was Adam Moore connected to Rob Johnson, connected to Josh Bard, and they were all just feeding each other shit. <laughs> That's a movie I would see. Not for the kids, though. No, oh, no, definitely not. Avert your eyes. NC-17, yeah. folks. Absolutely. Be responsible parents. Yeah. Or at least, like, wait till they're napping and then, then take them into the theater. <laughs> I, have, I have yet to do that. Well, that's because you're not a terrible human being. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did you're attend. You're a terrorist. <laughs> well, yeah. Not, not when it comes to movie etiquette, because I tend to be a little bit snobby about that. I, I remember going to, um, when it was still in theaters, I think the second week it was out, went to see Prometheus. Um, at, it was like it started at 8. I went with uh, Kaylin, my wife, and a couple other friends. And for those of you who haven't seen it, Prometheus is kind of a... It belongs in the, um, the universe of Alien. Um, it is not for, the, for people who are easily grossed out. And it was, a, it was, a, it was an R-rated movie. And there, a woman brought in her three children and could not be bothered to take care of them. She sat oh, in the no. theater, she watched the movie, and the three kids ran up and down the aisles and I wanted to stab my eyes out. The mom needed her fastbender fix. <laughs> that was that was definitely prime fastbender. Yeah, she had an entire theater filled with babysitters. <laughs> the kids will be fine. There's no way any of them could be traumatized about an alien C-section. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's nothing to be concerned about there. We all have to grow up at some point. <laughs> so that was, that was my, um, that was my movie etiquette. I think solidifier that I, I, I made a promise to myself that night that I would never, I would never do to anyone else what that woman had done to me. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So meanwhile... While you are getting really frustrated at Prometheus, Miguel Olivo is having himself quite the career away from Seattle uh, before, while the M's are trotting out the human centipede in 2010. So over 160, his 162-game average while he's away from Seattle, he averages 145 hits, 23 home runs, 81 RBI, a 263 batting average, 296 on-base percentage, 748 on-base plus slugging, and a 1.7 war. So obviously you have to sign this guy to replace that dumpster fire of a catching situation that you have. And he gets a two-year, $7 million deal. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Both decisions to sign Miguel Olivo make sense. (laughs) Only one decision to release Miguel Olivo makes sense. That's the conundrum of Miguel Olivo, is that <laughs> both times the Mariners signed him, everybody was like, yes, 
Woo! And then once they saw it on the field, they were like, what are we doing? <laughs> like going back to that whole Mariners fans talking themselves into wanting Miguel Olivo on their team. Uh, after the team re-signs him, uh, Larry LaRue of the News Tribune says, quote, he's not the greatest pitch caller, but he's got a strong arm and teammates love him. I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> it certainly isn't true later. It's not. And so Larry goes on to say, the problem is, one of, he should have said, one of the problems is. <laughs> but the problem is, he's a backup catcher, and the Mariners signed him to be their number one catcher. And to that I say, well, yeah, have you seen who else they have at catcher? Yeah, the problem is the Mariners haven't had a number one catcher since Dan Wilson. No. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the problem is that this team for, I mean, really what, what winds up being the last 12 years, 12 years a team has not been able to find a true starting catcher. That is they've, insane. They've barely been able to find a starting catcher at double A. Yeah. Like some of these guys are just so bad that you see Olivo have success, and you talk yourself into, he's figured it out. He's turned the corner. Now it's our turn. Yeah, and, and on paper, again, if you consider the two half seasons he spent with Seattle, that's an outlier because the rest of his career, he has been consistently better than any of your other catchers have been. And not only consistently better than any of your catchers have been, he's been consistently average in terms of just a general baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, fielding percentage, not always great, but he can actually hit, and that, that has been uh, something the Mariners have not been able to do with great consistency for years. No, especially at the catching position. Yeah. Um, so, again, maybe kind of makes sense at the time. You think he's figured it out. Yeah. False. I think... I think the the Mariners during this time really helped to kind of quell the debate between American League and National League uh, about the designated hitter. You know, (laughs) National League teams were always like, well, we have to put our pitcher out there to hit. It's not fair. American League teams get a DH. And then the Mariners were like, well, yeah, but have you seen our catchers? And they're like, touche. We're even. Yeah, the worst part is that the catchers weren't always able to pitch. No, they didn't even contribute in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, the Mariners get him back. They're expecting that kind of same level of consistency that they've been getting before. So are hovering around 250 batting average, uh, around 100 or so hits, you know, over 50 or so RBI. Um, and a pretty decent war. Um, no. Didn't no. get any of it. Nope. Didn't get any of it. In 2011, um, in 130 games, uh, Olivo had uh, over 100 hits. So he, he had 107 hits. It was pretty good. Um, and had 19 home runs. So that was uh, among one of his highest. But he also had just a 224 batting average. Just a... 253 on base percentage, slugging dropped to 388, on base plus slugging dropped to 641. But the most striking thing 
was that the guy struck out 140 times. He had the worst strikeout-to-walk ratio in all of baseball in 2011 and happened to set a Mariners uh, season record for strikeouts. Um, he loves that record. <laughs> he loves, he loves the strikeout, strikeout records. records. Just hoarding strikeout records. Yeah. Um, and that's a record that, that stood all of three years because we're still talking about Mariners catchers. And then we have to talk about <laughs> Mike Zanino um, and just crushed it with 158 strikeouts in 2014. Yep. Our latest catcher of the future. Yeah, really uh, just uh, a, a, a crazy turn yet again. And 2012 gets even worse. Um, plays in 87 games, um, drops his batting average down to 222, on base percentage down to 239, uh, on base plus slugging down to 620. Um, just, you know, manages somehow to get 85 strikeouts. Uh, it just, you know, <sighs> continues this terrible uh, trend with the Mariners of being astoundingly below average after being so consistent for five years with several different teams and several different ballparks, with several different lineups, um, and in two different leagues. Yeah, it's it was... you. It's hard not to take it personally at this point. <laughs> Because the common factor in his worst seasons is being in Seattle. Yeah. Something about coming to Seattle, playing with the Mariners, makes him terrible. Just god-awful. Because he was the ultimate, like, boom-or-bust player, Mm -hmm. where he was either going to hit a home run or he was going to strike out. But unfortunately, as his 224 batting average indicated, it was three strikeouts for every home run. Right. Or in the case of uh, 2011, when he struck out 140 times, it was seven strikeouts for every home run. Yeah. yeah. He, he really is a, um, you know, for our podcast, we've, we, we've talked about a couple different kinds of players that we've been trying to highlight uh, you know, throughout this venture, the, this this magical journey that Tyler, that you and I are on, and in many ways, Miguel Olivo represents so many of the crazy, like paranoia, frustrations that we have. That it feels like there must be something about the Mariners that makes people play worse. Like, yes, this is such a statistical, uh, it's such statistical proof. In, in, in many ways of like, okay, he was great every, literally every season he was not playing in a Mariners uniform, he was having a great year. Every time he put on a Mariners uniform, he played like shit. Yep, pretty much. What is happening? I don't know. I, maybe he went to the wharf and he saw that mermaid in that, uh, in that oddity shop on the wharf, and it really freaked him out, and it got into his head. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe went to the EMT uh, on acid, and it kind of maybe screwed him up for a little while. 
Yeah. Or maybe it's just your good old fashioned goddamn gypsy woman. Oh yeah. She took a special interest to the catcher position after Dan Wilson. I think I think she had a crush on him. That was her guy. And so once he got old, she was like, You guys are never gonna have a catcher ever again. That makes because, so much sense. Right. It's because so we replaced Miguel Olivo originally with Jorvit Torrealba and Miguel Ojeda. Right. We then bring Olivo back to replace the human centipede, Adam Moore, Rob Johnson, Josh Bard. And then we got rid of Olivo because we had found our answer in Jesus Montero. Oh, God. <laughs> Finally, finally, they figured, okay, this time for reals. <laughs> Guys, we, we figured it out. We figured it out this time. Boy, oh boy. Up until, wait, wait, wait. Now we figured it out in Mike Zanino, except now he's in AAA. So we're going to get a really old catcher and just ride him until he's dead, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, it worked with Dan Wilson. There, yeah, it's, it's a proven formula. <laughs> Find an old catcher, ride him until he's dead. That's, that's been their issue. They keep looking for catchers of the future, mm-hmm. but when they, they should be looking to golden era catchers. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, they couldn't do much worse than, you know, dragging out the Crypt Keeper every, every couple of games and... You know, just, just batter beware, you're in for a scare kind of thing. <laughs> you can't coach those kind of, those kind of head games. <laughs> so, what, so what happened to Olivo after they got rid of him? So the Mariners declined to pick up his option in 2013. He ends up going back to Miami, plays in 33 games, and now he's finally taking his Seattle game on the road with him. Uh, <laughs> So 33 games, 74 at-bats. He has a 203 batting average, Yikes. 250 on base, OPS of 642. Oof. 23 strikeouts and only four home runs. So in 2014, he doesn't make a major league roster, signs a minor league deal with the Dodgers, appears in eight games, has a 217 batting average, 240 on base percentage, 544 OPS, but nothing that he did on the field is why he's remembered uh, with the Dodgers that season. What happened? Well, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how Sean Figgins and got got into some altercations in the in the dugout with with the Mariners. I do uh, remember that. Yeah, you know, Jose Lopez lost his shirt. It was very traumatic. Uh, ball girl mouth agape. <laughs> Very scary. Uh, Miguel Oliva took it to like a whole other level. So on May 20th, he gets into a dugout altercation with Alex Guerrero. And this is, by the way, not on the major league team. Yeah. So, you know, the pressure you would think might not be as much <laughs> as, it, as it should be normally. You would think. You'd think, hey, we're in the minors. We're just trying to get back to the majors. Let's chill out. Nope. Apparently, Alex Guerrero did not apply a tag on, an, uh, on a steal attempt. So Miguel Olivo took it personally 
and they got into it. And Miguel Olivo's first reaction, once they start pushing each other, is to leap at him and bite off a part of his ear. <laughs> he, went, he went the full Tyson, He went say. full Tyson. You never go full Tyson. <laughs> but he did. Oh, he went, God. He went full out Tyson on the Dodgers' like, top prospect, who they were preparing to call up to the major league team, who now has to have emergency surgery to reattach part of his ear. Needless to say, the Dodgers uh, no longer required Miguel's services <laughs> at that point. This, is, this has been a surprisingly surgery-heavy episode. <laughs> I yeah. just want to point that out. We've had, we've had alien C-sections. We've had mm-hmm. the human centipede. We have yep. had emergency surgery on star prospect ears. Yeah. It's, it's been a strange day. Yeah. Well, when you're talking to Miguel Olivo, it, things are going to get weird, I think. I think that's, <laughs> that's the expectation. And, and, and now we come to the, come to the point where, uh, that I kind of made earlier, which was, you know, maybe it was the Mariners that did this to him. He could only kind of keep up that, that attitude, keep up the you know, the hard work and the, and the baseball dreams for so long until Seattle just beats it out of you. You know, going, going full Harvey Dent. He went full Harvey Dent and then went, went full Tyson. Yeah, it, cause that, that's why I find, like, there's so many quotes about him being attached to the Mariners about how his teammates love him, which makes it hard to believe that he would then bite one of his teammates. I can't imagine... Maybe they just were trying to stay on his good side. So they just yeah. kept telling him what a cool duty was. Because underneath it, they knew Olivo's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just a weird, it's a, it's a weird thing. And it, there's a Seattle Times article uh, by Ryan Divish that kind of talks about it. And they, they allude to a short fuse on... Olivo, the, essentially he um, has kind of been known for some of these altercations, or known at least for kind of having um, uh, kind of a bad attitude. Um, he <laughs> straight up walked out of batting practice in Miami uh, because he was upset that he wasn't going to be playing that day. You know, again, this is kind of in the back end of his career, so he's you know he's had to deal with this. Seattle Mariners again. Yeah, he not only walked out of batting practice, he then got in his car and went home. Like, they had a game that day. Like, he left the stadium completely. I wonder if he just, like, left the oven on. Maybe. Maybe he's like, oh, guys, I totally forgot. I got a thing. So, (laughs) mm. Here he is trying to be a responsible homeowner, and we're we're giving him shit for it. So, uh, you know, as, as... Poorly as Miguel Olivo played, I think through three player episodes, we, we really have, have not been able to find any my oh my moments. <laughs> and we struggle to find my oh my moments with Olivo as well. If we, but if we narrow our focus of looking at Miguel Olivo, uh, we can see some good things. Like... In 2011, he led the team in home runs and RBI. 
which so is great. So he's got that going for him, yeah. Uh, it's less great, though, when you expand the focus and see that his 19 home runs, which led the team, tied for 69th in the majors. Oh, God. And his team-leading 62 RBI tied for 99th in the majors. Hey, got that top 100. Yeah, he cracked it. <laughs> but when, you, when he was surrounded by the, the just yuckiness <laughs> of the rest of the 2011 roster, he rose to the tr- top. He was the cream of the crop of total crap. <laughs> and there it is. There's your there's your soundbite. There's our tagline. <laughs> I'm I, I'm really impressed at your your ability to censor yourself when you're when you said uh, the yuckiness of the 2011 Seattle Mariners. Uh, that, that, that was a great that was a great word. Yeah, there wasn't a word that like felt right. <laughs> <laughs> well. Nothing about 2011 should feel right. Just yucky. <laughs> well, this has been um, this has been appropriately awful. <laughs> it has been a journey <laughs> for for a for a journeyman catcher who uh, who journeyed well with everyone else but the Mariners. I guess all that's left to say is uh, find us on iTunes, rate and review us, give us those beautiful, tasty stars. Um, we are on Twitter. Tyler, what again is our is our Twitter handle? At YOY Podcast. I still don't know how to tweet. We still need to figure that out. Um, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of uh, snail mail, just writing a lot of uh, longhand letters. Mm-hmm. Um, sending Are them you out. sending them to people's Twitter handles? Because I'm, I have terrible news. <laughs> no, I haven't they, heard back from anybody. They will not receive those. That is not how mail works. It is not how Twitter works. Yikes. I, 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 have, um, I have to return some stamps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can actually... Uh, email us that we will you be can. able to uh, correspond with if you uh, write us uh, at uh, yoypodcast at gmail.com uh, if Miguel Olivo has bitten off part of your ear we want to hear about it mm-hmm. if he played well for you but didn't for the Mariners we want to hear about it we've heard enough about him playing well for other teams I think. <laughs> well that about covers it for me do you have anything else no, I think I think we have opened up Pandora's box of the terrible catchers of the 2000s for Seattle. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to come back from it. It will probably haunt us for the rest of our days, more so than it already has. On the bright side, this is probably the right time to announce to our listeners that, Tyler, you and I will actually uh, be platooning as catchers for the Mariners. We couldn't be much worse than what they what they what they have had out there. <laughs> All right, good sir. Uh, <laughs> have a good evening, and uh, listeners, we'll we'll catch you next episode.